to head on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand and I have my friend and yours and everyone's friend, Logan Stump. Pato, Pato. This is, this is crazy. This is the first time we're dealing with you as an Orlando fan with rumors here actually this is, so is going to be pretty fun it's going to be pretty fun so uh, as as uh, Logan just pointed out there uh, Alexander Pato uh, former Chelsea player for just a few matches everybody knows about AC Milan wait a minute Jordan that's pretty normal for a lot of your players that, that it a is, couple yeah. games kind of like the KDB <laughs> stuff but I won't mention it most a lot yeah yeah um uh Matt Miazga who still has not played for Chelsea yep, um, <laughs> well let's get to it here Alexander Pato is rumored to be signing for Orlando City and actually let me just pull up the tweet here because while we were recording our interview little behind the scenes here we actually already recorded the interview you're about to hear and we're recapping uh this stuff afterwards while we were recording that uh the mainland uh the you know SB Nation uh website and, and Twitter account uh for Orlando City was just posting that this is going to be uh, a one-year deal with a team option at the end and would not be a high TAM player or DP. So it sounds like it might be a very budget-friendly deal, as they say here. Uh, Which for me means that this is a great deal for Orlando. Yes, he hasn't been, uh, you know, playing at his AC Milan level for quite some time. But if it's not going to cost you a DP spot, if it's not going to cost you a lot of TAM, I just don't see the harm in in putting a flyer out on Alexander Pato and also getting more of those Brazilian fans uh, that, you know, ownership and, and, uh, you know, Orlando has kind of been trying to create a link with, you know, with Kaká and other players. Um, Almost like a Portuguese link, actually, because you have Nani as well. Uh, And, you know, in Brazil, they speak Portuguese. But, Logan, give us your thoughts here on – Alexander Pato, and how excited are you to maybe have a uh, a big striker here that can maybe rotate along with DK every once in a while if DK comes back? 
So I'm not going to lie to you, Jordan, um, when I found out about this and, you know, he's a striker. I, my first thought, and this is horrible, was, oh my God, do they know that DK's leaving? Because this is my first thought that hits my head um, as soon as they announced that rumor. Um, and, and if anybody didn't see it, it's that little ducky in front of Orlando City. I would City. hope not. I yeah. would hope not because uh, Pato is not going to be as good as DK That's what I was in, thinking this, too. in this league. Yeah. I mean, right. uh, Pato has not been putting up the numbers, you know, right. and he did in China, but this is a very different league than, than China as well. Right. So, you know, I, if you're adding depth, then kudos to you. I think that, you know, but they, they do have some depth in that tense or then that striker spot and that nine spot. Um, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how they piece him in. Um, I know that Akindeli and uh, Michelle are, are guys that usually can play up top when DK's not in. Um, but I do, it, it'll be interesting because it does seem that we have that Portuguese connection. Anytime they come here, uh, they, they tend to play pretty well. Um, and, and they've got, you know, a, a lot of connections around the area. Uh, I'm excited to see just kind of the impact that it would have on the, the city itself. Cause I know I teach a lot of the Brazilian students um, and I think that the move itself is exciting for them um, just because they're getting people that they've you know grown up watching or know of from uh, their country Um, so that's that's a pretty cool thing so maybe maybe they're just selling jerseys at this point maybe they're you know really needing a backup that's got some experience in behind DK but again if DK comes back uh, you see him you know, in spots. And if it's just going to be a year, I could see that realistically just being the year he comes up here, sells him a couple jerseys, um, which will be nice and, and really has an influence on the, the community around here that's Brazilian. So overall, I, I like it. Uh, it's had some experience in that uh, striker position because DK is pretty young. So um, anything that he can learn from Pato uh, was, is probably a good thing. So all this wealth of experience and, and knowledge that DK is getting ready to have coming back from Barnsley and now uh, with Pato possibly coming in that's exciting for Orlando I'm excited I, I'm waiting for uh, when do you think that they could possibly announce this it's being rumored today uh, maybe tomorrow or I gotta think it's something on a Saturday no nah, I, I think know. it's gotta be Maybe tonight I think it's gotta be tonight be, I, I don't we're at 7 30 on the east true. coast I feel like it's not I don't know going to happen yeah well, it's weird that you would tweet out a duck <laughs> like uh, wouldn't it be really awful if our like home kit is <laughs> is something inspired by ducks? We'd be like, what? It doesn't make any sense. Um, no, but I think that's it's alluding to the fact that uh, I, I think it's a teaser. I don't know if they're announcing it tonight. Uh, if they do, and this episode is coming up on Monday, so yeah. uh, we'll we'll find out. If you might already know ahead of us, actually, the people listening, right? Um, but uh, let's move over to some Orlando's rivals here, real quick. Atlanta United, the five stripes, signing Santiago Sosa from River Plate uh, as their uh, as a 21-year-old. Uh, he is about a $6 million uh, transfer fee, supposedly, uh, playing midfield position, uh, deep-lying defensive midfielder, actually, which is what Atlanta really needs since Darlington Nagby left. So, uh, to me, this is a good signing. We'll see how it goes. I mean, there's still so much little known about him, I guess. Uh, but at Atlanta, for me, uh, when we get to that preview, is going to be really fun. Uh, this is the most excited I've been about Atlanta since uh, Tata Martino left because uh, Frank DeBoer made them a real chore to watch. Um, but 
Yeah, I'm really excited for uh, you know some of these signings that Atlanta has made this year, and uh, we're going to touch a little bit about an Atlanta trade actually that's rumored uh, to San Jose in our upcoming uh, interview here. So, Logan, why don't you go ahead and uh, advise everybody here? Oh my God, I sound like I'm at work right now. Uh, that's what we always have to <laughs> use that, you know, advise. Um, <laughs> this is right after work, guys. All right, um, can you? Uh, let us uh, advise the listeners here on who we're interviewing and uh, where they're from. Yeah. So we got Jamon Moore um, from the San Jose area, uh, the Bay area over there in Cali. Um, And he is of uh, black and Azul. He also runs some uh, contributions through the American soccer. um, Why is it escaping me? It should be escaping me. Where is it? Uh, hold on, you're going to cut this because I have forgotten what it's called. Uh, don't guarantee that I'm cutting that, but yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay, never mind. I found it, folks. Uh, American Soccer Analysis. Um, it is the American Soccer Analysis website. Uh, he does contributions for them, and basically what that is, it's going to be some of your Sabre metrics, some of those metrics that people break down to really just show the value of a player, uh, expected goals, expected assists, uh, expected buildup, um, added goals, which he goes into a little bit more because I think it's the most interesting of the stats because I think it does a nice job of showing value. Um, but again, he, he does a nice job. He covers the quakes. He's actually um, part of the media that goes in and is able to cover the quakes. And he said, I think it was his first year last year uh, covering them at least in person. And what a season to, to have. I know, right? That's like it. locker room access. And right. And that's what he was talking about, how weird it was for him because he's listening to press conferences and, and, you know, I don't want to ruin the stories, um, but, uh, you know, having to listen to press conferences and stuff at different times, kind of like a person that's just jockeying between like, which one do I turn on and which one can I ask questions and I'm on mute. And I can't imagine having being press for the first time as like, it's your first gig and you're trying to figure out like how to zoom in and talk to the moderator that's you know running the control room and running the the press room so um it's pretty interesting it's a good interview uh he is very insightful um and we really enjoyed having him on so let's take a quick break here and we will go ahead and uh bring on the interview and we're back here now and we have our uh special guest jamin moore who covers the san jose earthquakes how are you doing today Great, guys. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for coming on. Uh, So we just have some uh, quick questions here about the Quakes and how they look forward to the 2021 season here. Um, Logan, it looks like you might have the first question here. Is that correct? (laughs) Yeah, Jamie, I just wanted – I'm interested because I was reading through your bio is trying to find some things that you've done. I went through and listened to Black and Azul. Um, what, what kind of stuff do you do? Uh, I know in your uh, bio, you mentioned American soccer analysis, um, which seems to be a really nice website that's coming along. I think it's a website. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but uh, again, I think you're doing nice work there. What other work do you do? Where can your work be found? And just give us some uh, details about how you cover uh, the earthquakes. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because uh, I have a media pass and all that. And so I guess you could say I'm a journalist because I even have a a website uh, that I've recently uh, taken over the last couple of years called uh, Quakes Epicenter. We have a number of senior writers that write there, and somehow I'm I'm running the day to day for that particular website now. 
Um, but I say fancy myself as more like an analyst that just happens to have a, a media pass. Um, and uh, so that kind of passion, uh, where I kind of started off with the earthquakes was, you know, analyzing the team from a, a data perspective and uh, trying to understand. And this is mostly back in the 2018 season when they, you know, I guess you could say won the uh, the, the the wooden spoon, right? That that was a pretty poor team, <laughs> and and uh, a difficult team to analyze because you know sometimes you you like to talk about as an analyst like where does the team go from here? How do they improve? And and that team is just like I'm not quite sure even you know how they <laughs> you know could could improve in a lot of different ways. Uh, so that was an interesting year to try to start that. But um, that kind of grew and I uh, got some. Uh, uh, connections over at American Soccer Analysis and uh, started uh, doing a couple articles for them as well. And, uh, you know, that's kind of been uh, been an area where I, I really enjoy the analysis side of things. But, you know, now having a, a media pass and covering the team directly, got an opportunity for a season to, you know, kind of do the whole locker room thing and, and to talk to the players and, and uh, do the post-game press conferences. And uh, Almeida loves me. And by loves me, I mean he doesn't like me at all, <laughs> because because I ask those kind of analyst type questions, I guess. And uh, so, you know, it's uh, it's been interesting to kind of try to wear both of those hats at one time. And I'm not sure I do it all that well, to be honest. I was going to say I, I've read some of the stuff, uh, and especially a lot of the stuff that American Soccer Analysis, because you and I were tweeting back or messaging back and forth before the show that we we're you know just trying to get an understanding of the metrics that they're using and you know, trying to brush up on my skills just because I'm an English teacher. So math and I, uh, data and I don't get along too well. Um, but again, I, I think it's it's interesting just because I think teams are really focusing. I, I think actually I just retweeted something from Vancouver where they just hired uh, a new director of scouting that does the same exact thing. He'd been in the, the Brenton uh, and Michelin uh, system over there in Europe and they've talked about how do we use metrics effectively? How can we find a metric that is going to be good enough to evaluate players and the value that they have on the pitch because you've got expected goals, you've got expected assists, um, which, you know, when I talked to Jordan about this and we've got a, a buddy that we do stoppage time our other show with, and he, you know, he's a big time data guy. He loves the metrics. He loves the expected goals. And so he's explaining it to us. Um, can you explain a little bit? Uh, I know that this was talked a lot about and, and for those out there that don't know exactly what it is, can you can you go through a little bit of what the goals added means uh, that you do over in American Soccer Analysis? Because I think that's a, a relatively new term that I think is coming along that's shown effectively uh, how good these players can really be and the value they have for the teams. Yeah, goals added was a really exciting project that American Soccer Analysis launched last year. I was more on the periphery of that particular one, but uh, but I was. Uh, you know, involved in the Slack channels and such, you know, in the creative process uh, to some levels. Um, and what we wanted to try to help do with Goals Added was to take the knowledge that we had gained from metrics like expected goals and expected assists, uh, expected buildup, um, the project that I worked on previously there, expected possession goals, XPG, um, so if people follow the XPG game flow where we measure the momentum of, of a soccer match, um, that's, uh, you know, th those were all, I think, areas that, that got us to this point of starting to figure out, okay, well, can we not just analyze, you know, teams and, and this kind of 
shot only type expected goals, but you know, can we maybe introduce something here that would help teams be able to analyze players? And so, you know, goals added is a metric that that is based in kind of, you know, probabilities. So based upon where you're at on the pitch right now, what is the chance you're going to be able to turn that uh, that into a goal? And what was a bit unique about it, uh, I think at the time was that we wouldn't just uh, analyze it based upon the current uh, possession, but based upon um, the uh, the possession before and looking looking ahead and trying to kind of figure out based upon you know the flow of the game, so to speak, kind of what the possibility you know of creating a goal is, and within that identifying the players who do that really really well, even if they're not the ones who are putting the ball in the net, even if they're not the ones feeding the key pass you know into the shot but involved in the buildup play. And I think it did, did shine a light on a lot more players that don't really, didn't really have one of those X type stats that were, you know, uh, big for them uh, previously. And then through additional work, we kind of realized that there were certain people who were adding value, but, but the metric wasn't fully uh, capturing them as well. And so since then we've introduced a couple uh, new concepts around it. Uh, one's called uh, um, uh, X boost, and uh, and that looks a little bit more, uh, or goals to boost, I should say. That one looks a little bit more at someone like a Darlington Nagby, and who's very much a side-to-side -side type passer, but makes the pass that that is before a pass that's usually very important, and helps unlock the defenses in more of a of a side-to-side -side type way. So, you know, there's we think that there's still a lot of work to do, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Um, it's a very difficult area to analyze um, because a lot of times the best you know, the best, uh, you know, offense is a good defense, so to speak. And you have to, if you're winning the ball up high and you're not, you know, conceding a lot of chances, sometimes the defensive metrics don't really show that type of work that's being done. So you said that you have access and knowing all that, um, is that something that you're bothering Matias about? I mean, is Almeida, is he, you know, I know ownership, just like in baseball, I, I kind of, when I was reading through it, they compared it to um, wins above replacement for mm -hmm. baseball players. Uh, do you feel like it's being implemented in the locker room and tactically through, you know, coaching, or, or is this more of just kind of finding players that fit systems better? Um, do you feel like head coaches are taking a serious turn towards data? Because I know, you know, in baseball, they've got the traditionalists that don't believe data is really a thing. They've got people that are uh, adamant about the data. I'm a Cubs fan, so Theo Epstein was all about data and talking about that. And I know a lot of sports are going that direction, but do you feel like in MLS that there's a big push towards the data side? Because I do feel like it's starting to really get out uh, in the in the fans view, uh, because I think now people are starting to talk about it before, uh, more than they were before. Yeah, what you're what you're really seeing right now and, and good reference to the uh, Vancouver Whitecaps move, because that hire there is is someone who's not only done it in Europe for clubs that value that type of thing, but uh, had also spent some time at Statsbomb, who's one of the premier data providers, you know, of, of soccer data um, to clubs around the world, you know, including the Whitecaps. And so they were that that's what we what we're really seeing right now is that clubs realize that they need to make an investment in the most for the most part and hires are being made. I think we're still in the infancy from the fact that um, I don't believe that most of the I think sometimes the job requirements uh, are a little bit 
uh, have, have very high expectations because clubs are looking to hire one person who can do everything. And um, at the same time, they're not necessarily offering the salaries that that type of experience, you know, should, should be able to get. And so, you know, from that perspective, I think it's in, in the infancy. There are coaches who are certainly more ahead of the game than, than others, and, and that gap can be very, very wide. Uh, I remember uh, we, we heard that uh, Jesse Marsh used to print out uh, articles when he was with the, the New York Red Bulls uh, from American Soccer Analysis and put them in players' lockers. Um, and he was, you know, very kind of forward thinking. Uh, we know that we know several MLS coaches that do uh, read our articles. We know of general managers that read our articles. The, uh, the president of the, uh, the New England Revolution uh, was actually uh, recently on, on Twitter stumping for Matt Turner as goalkeeper of the year, citing our <laughs> stats. So, you know, there's certainly, I think, like, there, there's a lot more uptake of it and people are realizing that, hey, there's something there. But I also feel like we still have a gap, which is that uh, when, I, when I talk to a lot of coaches and I ask them, hey, do you know what expected goals are? Do you use expected goals? A lot of them are like, eh, I kind of know a little bit, but I don't know as much as I'd like. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I need to, I need to understand that better. And so I, I believe that we still have this, this gap that we need to close. And I'm working on a project right now with uh, Carl Carpenter, who's, who's with ASA and also with StatsBomb. And uh, we're looking to, to try to, to see if we can, we can help bridge that gap a little bit and get, get the expected goals people and the, the people who just deal in goals <laughs> talking to each other <laughs> on, a, on a more level playing field. It's all interesting just because I think from a fan's perspective, looking at it um, and somebody that's covering soccer, it's just interesting because like you said, ESPN's picking it up. It's being piped over the tube now. Just, uh, you know, you got people talking about expected goals. You've got guys that, uh, and then Jordan can speak to this. I know that uh, Timo Werner, he's a Chelsea fan. Um, Timo is, is prime for one of those uh, really low numbers and he's got expected goals that are, uh, pretty high but you know I think that looking at players and looking at how accurate they are when it comes to the end of the season it's it's amazing what the data can show um, and I think it's interesting that you guys are having a hand in that I think it's pretty cool so yeah so it's just definitely a lot of fun and and really kind of been uh you know my entry you know into uh getting into this side of 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 soccer um, I'd been on the youth coaching side and such, but in order to, to kind of get into this, this, uh, this data side, you know, I think it's, it's been interesting to kind of see, you know, where, where soccer is today compared to where a sport like, you know, baseball or, or basketball or football are, um, as well. There's certainly a lot of room for growth for the game in this area. Yeah, Jordan, I think you're up next. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Moving on from stats, uh, my question is about uh, Almeida. Um, mm -hmm. It seems like, you know, he, he's been with uh, San Jose for two years, right? Two By years. Now? Two years. Uh, it seems like after each season, though, he's kind of linked with another coaching gig. This time it was with Chile. He just announced uh, he kind of shot that down. Um, but it, could this potentially be his last year as the Earthquakes uh, coach? Um whether it's because they just don't perform as well this year or if it's um, 
like, I guess if they don't perform as well, is there a risk of him being fired or are they just really on the Almeida train and will he move on maybe to a different club or a national team? Yeah, I think, I think this, this interest in him is, is starting to kind of, you know, maybe wear a little thin on some of the fans. It may even be wearing a bit thin on people in the, in the Quicks front office. It's hard to say. Um, and it's also kind of difficult because he doesn't engage with the media a lot in the off season. And when he does, usually it's with Argentinian radio stations. So right. it's, it's sometimes kind of difficult to see where he's at in all this. He seems to enjoy the attention that that comes with it. He, he seems to enjoy kind of all that, those types of things. But one of the things that he constantly comes back to and says is that he really enjoys the ability to live in San Jose, a, a fairly anonymous type life, right? And, you know, the thing I, it feels like that's kind of kept him in San Jose and keeping him in San Jose is the, that kind of quiet life, the, the life that he never got to experience as a player or as a coach, uh, whether in Argentina or, or in Mexico, where he's considered you know, an extremely famous person in, in both places. And so being able to come to the United States and have that more quiet, quiet life really does seem to appeal for, to him. But it also does seem like he enjoys you know, kind of the spotlight. I, 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 I like to say he wants to be wanted. And um, so there is this aspect that, that seems to not shoot down the rumors, but kind of let them you know, fester and stay out there and even get to the point of where he's, you know, maybe his agent is, is uh, you know, talking offers and things like that. And at the end of the day, it's hard to say, you know, is, is the real issue that he's not moving here because he wants to be with the earthquakes or because the teams are not willing to pay what the earthquakes would want for him in order to release him. And frankly, because most of that information is available only through certain sources and and, you know, Argentinian radio station media, it's, it's really difficult to sift through and understand what's actually fact uh, from fiction here. That's interesting, too, that uh, I didn't really realize it was because of the uh, anonymity, you know, uh, anonymity uh, lifestyle that he mm -hmm. would prefer. But we always hear that with players. Like, I remember, was it, I, I think Rooney has sp spoke about that, mm -hmm. you know, um, other big players. Uh, that come over here like Terry Henry and, and Cahill that can kind of just kind of float under the radar a bit just because of the sport not being as huge over in uh, over here in America so I didn't really think of that with like the coaching you know like uh, usually you hear that more with the players but it is interesting that that could be something keeping him uh, happy in San Jose uh, right but what type of impact do you think he's had on the team? I, I feel like, you know, when he, you know, his first season was a little rough, uh, it seemed like. But this year, they had that, uh, they did, um, you know, MLS is back. Uh, they, they did uh, okay there. They um, had kind of a lull in the middle of the season here once everything got back and running. But then near the end of the season, it seemed like they were just in constant uh, high-scoring games either to their detriment of giving up, you know, lots of goals, but also being a high scoring team and uh, even taking Kansas city to penalty shootouts in the, in the uh, playoffs. But uh, do you think they can take that step further still under Almeida and uh, what, and what type of impact has he had on the franchise and the fan base? 
Well, without a doubt, the brand of soccer that, that Matias Almeida has, has brought to the team is the most exciting brand that we've seen since the, you know, the 2012 Goonies uh, team, right? That was a fun and team. <laughs> that was a fun team, right? You, you're, you're, I, I, told, I told my son, who I think was about uh, you know, six or seven at the time, like, you're never going to see this again in your lifetime. The number of comebacks that one team can make in stoppage time in a season, like you're just not going <laughs> to beat, beat that, that, that type of thing. But you, you have to also keep in mind that, you know, before Matias Almeida, it was a fairly boring, you know, brand of soccer. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dom, Dom Kinnear was, they called it Dom Ball, you know, for a reason, because he was, he was always playing for, for like the one nothing win or the, or the zero zero draw on the road. But I mean, there was, there was really, you know, not a lot that people found compelling about that brand of soccer. Yeah, they always called it um, MLS some, 1.0. <laughs> yeah, MLS, exactly. Um, and, and of course, they turned the reins, you know, for a period of time, you know, over into uh, to someone from from inside the club, and and uh, it was exciting. But at the same time, like the defense was just giving up, you know, a crazy amount of goals, and they made the playoffs uh, in 2017. Uh, you know, came in at the last on the last day of the season with another stoppage time winner, basically, and uh, you know, then then promptly lost to the Whitecaps five nothing in the playoffs, and that that team had a negative goal differential. If I remember right, it's like a negative 16, negative 17, something like that goal differential. So you, you, you saw that again this past season. You would, you would think like, okay, that was a, maybe a once, once in every you know, 25 year type thing for a team to have that kind of negative goal differential and still make the playoffs. But, but no, it happened to the team again in 2020 um, because they had these big losses, like you mentioned, they had big losses to Seattle and to Portland um, I think a couple of them to Portland and, you know, these were, and, and I think LAFC along the way, these were, you know, bad losses. Uh, they were, you know, seven, one, they were, you know, f you know, five, nothing. It, it was, they were, they were bad losses. And there was definitely a lot of talk that, that Almeida and potentially general manager, Jesse Firinelli, you know, were, you know, potentially going to be, be fired. Uh, but one of the things I think that that kind of prevented that from happening was that, uh, you know, the earthquakes owners not not known for uh, trying to spend as much money as he can for sure. And, you know, the, uh, Jesse uh, had a new contract, you know, Matias's contract is quite rich, pretty sure he didn't want to pay the buyout clauses and kind of let things ride out. And of course, regression to the mean, you know, kind of takes over and and the team does does improve after that. One of the factors for that, I thought, was the switch in the goalkeeper position uh, to uh, from uh, Daniel Vega, who definitely was struggling, to uh, to the younger J.T. Marcinkowski uh, Academy product, um, who's also uh, a U U23 national team player for the U.S. And um, you know, immediately there was change. Now, uh, whether that was all because of J.T. or whether it just kind of woke the team up, or it was just regression to the mean, you know, hard to say. Um, but things definitely got better and, and, and finished out. And the team didn't even have to play for a playoff spot on the last game of the season. They actually had secured it with a home win over LAFC, a, a tough win. Um, right. And were able to secure it before the, the last game of the season and kind of took the pressure off and uh, gave the team a, an opportunity to kind of relax a little bit coming into the playoffs. And, and then they were extremely competitive against Sporting Kansas City, a game that, you know, you could argue that they should have won had they not given up two two uh, corners from basically the exact same spot. Um, and, uh, you know, they outplayed 
supporting Kansas City for for large stretches of that game. So, you know, it it's hard to say that the season was a success because you got the eighth playoff spot out of what twelve, um, and uh, the huge negative goal differential but I think given the struggles of the team mid-season um, you know finishing in, in the playoffs at all was an accomplishment given you know the mid-season struggles can they be more consistent it's a good question because they didn't show that the first season they had their big ups and big downs in the first season and they had big ups and big downs in the second season and, and I kind of feel like from just also watching more Leeds United over the last couple of years that maybe this is just the way the style is going to be. It's either going to be right. make you feel really great. Like this team is, is one of the best teams in the league one day and the next day it's going to be, this is like the worst, you know, team ever. And, and, you know, Matias should be fired. So I just think that the style itself kind of lends itself to these big ups and downs. And, and uh, from my read on it, most fans would prefer to have that than, than have the boring Dom ball. So I, I guess that's something. Yeah. I mean, you were just talking about those. Uh, I have their, their results pulled up here because I remember, you know, some of these games as well. Uh, Cause I watched a lot of, uh, you know, I started this podcast in the around October timeframe of last season uh and i used to watch a lot of san jose games uh back then just because they were you never knew what you were getting like you said uh they would they're entertaining uh, at least right one yeah, way or the other a five nil loss to the rapids but then they beat lafc two to one then they beat the white caps three nothing and la galaxy two to one and then they lose to the timbers three nothing but beat galaxy four nil like it was just very up and down but uh such a fun uh you know, fun style of play, like you, like you said, kind of the Bielsa ball uh, leads style of play as well. Yeah. I mean, there's just kind of something, you know, about it. And um, I, I feel like after what transpired in the 2018 season, that team sat back, tried to play long ball, you know, very, didn't really have any sort of style. And um, while they, I thought had some decent players, you know, they weren't, it just wasn't a good mix of the, of the coach that they had brought in, uh, Mikhail Starry. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like, uh, you know, Jesse kind of looked around the league and said, you know, hey, the teams that are more successful are ones that are pressing. They're trying to win the ball higher. They are playing this kind of fast-paced attack. And, and, you know, certainly that's what this style is, if nothing else. It's, it's certainly fast-paced. It's certainly attacking it's certainly trying to win the ball higher um and so you know it's interesting and uh, and you got to give it that no matter no matter the results i was going to say coming off of that um i think that leads into just kind of the next question uh, around the club and like you said they get added to the playoffs with that added playoff spot um i mean do you do you think that the club looked at it more of a disappointment or were they you know, kind of an even keeler, like, okay, we're in eighth spot. Or were they pretty high on the season because they made the playoffs and ended on a good run? I mean, this team, you look at this team and you try to preview them for the next season, but you don't honestly know what you're going to get. You know, where where are the improvements? You know, where were they made? Did you see any particular that, that you thought were um, sizable um, just to make them a better club this year? Because it just doesn't sound like, I mean, it's one giant step forward and then tons of running steps back backwards yeah i i would say that in this season is 
you know, still still to kind of be be determined. You know, there's there's been you know rumors that uh, you know looking for for a trade with Atlanta in order to bring in Eric Cometti, uh, mm-hmm. who would be very important given you know l- the likely national call-ins and the Olympic qualifying that's that's going to happen for Jackson Ewell. So you know you can't you can't blame Jesse and Matias for wanting a, a reliable uh, defensive midfielder to bring in uh, alongside Judson. Um, they made a they made a play for uh, Leon from uh, Monterrey, and um, unfortunately, you know that didn't uh, work out. Uh, the, it it was a it was approved at one level of the club. They thought they had him. It went uh, from everything we've been told. It went to the board and the board uh, at Monterey um, declined it. So, you know, that look for, for, for all the noise that the Quakes aren't willing to spend, you know, the, the facts are that uh, over the last uh, couple of years, they've, they've been in the top half of the league in, in spending in terms of players. Now have they been the smartest moves? Not necessarily, but, but the money's been there. Um, you know, Matias's players that he's brought in from other clubs, I would say overall have, not perform to expectation, whereas some of the other moves for, uh, you know, players in from Brazil um, and uh, in Argentina and such have actually worked out fairly well. Um, you know, uh, as Christian Espinoza on, on the right as an attacking winger is one of the more exciting players in the league for people who haven't seen him. He is an absolute joy to watch. Um, quite an exciting player, super smart. Um, you know, I spent some time playing, uh, you know, for, for uh, in La Liga, um, you know, mostly uh, uh, as a bench player, but um, now getting the opportunity to play every game for San Jose, he's, he really shines. Um, they, they brought in a, a young player by the name of Marcos Lopez uh, as a left back um, when he was 19, uh, national team player for Peru, and uh, he had a a little bit up and down first season. I wasn't quite sure if that was going to be a move that panned out. And uh, once he got healthy uh, this past season has, was a huge bright spot. The thing that, that they have to figure out is this is a club that I believe gave up 49, 48, 49 goals last season. Um, and they haven't really made any big move on the back line except to move Nick Lima to Austin. So if that's the number of goals that you gave up last season, I mean, the only real change being the, the goalkeeper change that they made late in the season. So, you know, how are you going to improve over giving up, you know, that many goals and obviously in a shortened season, but, you know, you play that over the course of a full season and that's going to be, you know, one of the worst in league history. So they've so far not shored up the back line um, in any meaningful way. If anything, you know, losing, losing Nick Lima's, likely a step back. And so that's where I'm waiting to see if they're going to make any sort of um, adjustments um, is, is really to figure out how that defense is going to improve this season, you know, running out, I think the same lineup next season and expecting a different result doesn't feel to me like a recipe for success on that side. The attacking side is, is still, like I said, is, is actually kind of exciting. When you have, you know, Jackson Ewell spraying balls all around, I hope, hopefully people, if they haven't watched the Quakes much, have seen him with the national team. He's a fun player. Um, I, you know, Carlos Fierro on the left is, is seeming to regain his form uh, from his time at, at Chivas, uh, where he was successful before he, he began struggling a bit after Matias left. Um, now, you know, Matias has also brought in one of his former players, Hofis, uh, apparently to play kind of the, the 10 position, although that wasn't his primary role at, 
at Chivas. It's one of his roles that he's able to play. Um, they lost Magnus Eriksson. They kind of lost that progressive passer that was, you know, putting dangerous balls into the box, you know, from the central midfield. And, and hopefully Shafis will be a return to that. There's some questions in the striker position. They tried uh, Andy Rios at, at the nine last year as a, as a kind of a, a solitary nine that didn't go well. They ended up having to go back to Wando and had Rios kind of play a bit more of a, of a second striker or, or, a, or a, like a 10 uh, uh, for a bit of the season. And that went okay after a few games of adjustment. That's one of the, one of the uh, things that the team did get a bit better um, when they turned it around was, was because Rios kind of got used to that position and got better at it. So, you know, there, I think there's certainly on the attacking side, if they can keep putting in goals at the rate that they have, they'll be fine. The, the big question is, I think, on the defensive side and, and is just expecting JT Marcinkowski, you know, to, to in goal as the only real material, you know, change defensively. Uh, it just doesn't feel like enough to me as much as I like JT. So, like, if I, I know you talked about it some on your show, um, and you were talking about Tommy Thompson um, stepping into that right back spot if they don't find anybody. Is that a big step down? Is that, you know, because he's looking at the stats and stuff, he's made 17 appearances in 2016, then he jumped back up to 32 and then back down to 14 and back up to 30. seems like he's been kind of just an up and down player. Uh, is that somebody that they're looking at to step into that role immediately? Is, is he worth, you know, giving a shot at that role without going out and signing somebody? Well, see, that's where, you know, if they had been able to sign a Leon, probably he would have fit into that, that uh, right back role. I mean, that's just me guessing based upon, you know, what, what Leon's primary positions are. Um, you know, Tommy, Tommy was very, very good and kind of a bit of a revelation, I think, in that position for Matias in, in 2019. Um, I think he overachieved Matias's expectations and actually kind of set Nick Lima to the side. Uh, either on the bench or, or pushed him over into the left back position to compete with Marcos Lopez. Um, but this past year, I think Tommy was, was underperforming at times. Um, and uh, one of the reasons why that particular side was getting broken down too much. Um, and so I think that's a fair question. If uh, the amount of trust that Tommy got in 2019 is uh, something that, you know, he will be able to restore and get back to that, that level of form and be able to perform in that position uh, as a right back again for Matias in, uh, in 2021. Um, Matias definitely likes him quite a bit. Um, but I, you know, I think there was a point at which uh, some of Tommy's, you know, flaws defensively were getting exposed through the rough patch last year, um, particularly when he goes up against really skilled uh, players like uh, Pavone on that side. Um, and uh, those are things that uh, Nick Lima was able to step in and, and uh, correct to some level. So I think they're still looking. Um, I, I also feel like they need to make a move on the right center back myself. So one of those two spots, I think, needs an upgrade before the season starts. Uh, shifting gears a bit to the attack and one of my favorite players of all time in this league, Chris Wondolowski. Uh, you know, he was originally thinking of retiring after the 2020 season due to COVID and the shortened season, I think, uh, is why he mainly extended that. But he is, you know, 38. Um, he started 13, I believe, out of the 22 games last year uh, with seven goals. 
and uh, or was it seven goals? Sorry, I have it right here. That's not that's seven not goals. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know uh, he's getting up there in age. Uh, he's been playing for a while, but he was also kind of a late bloomer where he you know didn't really get on this goal scoring tear until like 2010, which is amazing. The fact that he is now the all time leading goal scorer of MLS. Uh, what role do you see him having this year? Uh, is he going to maybe slot back into starting more games and, and be the focal point again? Or is he uh, going to be kind of doing a little bit of uh, subbing, a little bit of starting uh, to kind of keep him fresh throughout the season as well? Yeah, I think part of that is determined based upon whether Matias wants to take another look at Andy Rios, you know, as, as a nine. Um, like I said, it didn't go very well in mm-hmm. uh in 2020 so but but matias is is a bit stubborn sometimes on his ideas on players uh, uh you know as can be said for for many head coaches in the league um and it, and it takes him a while to finally give up on an experiment uh be well beyond the, the media and fan you know asks remind me up, of Jurgen give up on it yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm sure a lot of fans would say yes reminds me of of, of our coach um, you know, and that's coaches, right? They believe in their players and, and uh, particularly Andy Rios, you know, was a big player for, for Matias in, in, uh, in South America. So, um, you know, so th- to me, it depends on what, where he thinks Andy Rios is at. Is he, is he looking to, for him and Shofis to kind of alternate at the 10? Um, is he going to give him another shot at the nine? And then based upon that, you know, is there going to be another move for a starting nine? Um, still to be made in the off season. There, you know, there were you know a lot of rumors that uh, they were trying to to upgrade in that particular position, but so far they they uh, instead went uh, with the super draft selection in that spot, and it appears they're also looking at a former USL player right now to also come in um, and uh, and play striker as well. So, well, you know, that kind of leaves it as, as you know, it's Wando and and a couple kids. Um, you know, no, no offense to the young, young guys, but right. it feels like there's a lot on Wando potentially to try to, to groom younger players and see if they can kind of step up into that particular position. This might be just one of those seasons where they're like, yes, we have Wando in a pinch. We have Andy. We've got a couple young kids, you know, let's give it a shot uh, for one more season with Wando. He's, he's extremely healthy. Um, you know, I think he's only had one season where he even was had any time where he was out for an injury at all. He likes to say, I don't have any muscles, so I can't pull any. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I don't think it's, it's, and, and he played, if I think if you take a look at those 13 games, I think like the vast majority of those, the, the starts anyway, were down the stretch. So he really kind of ended the season, right. you know, in that position and, and did fairly well. Um, I mean, he had, he has, he don't, he goes in spurts as, as all strikers do. And he certainly had some dry spells, but um, you know, can he go another full season? There's not, honestly no reason to think he can't. I think a lot of people at this point do feel like he would um, be more successful as a, as a backup though, coming off the bench, bring that spark, maybe a second forward in a game that, that they need a goal, um, you know, in beyond the 60th minute would be a better situation for Wando. It's hard to argue with that. Um, certainly most people look for, look for speed and he's not that option, but uh, you know, he can, he can certainly take a tired defense and, and really make him second guess what he's going to do. And um, you know, that might be, you know, a better role for him, but, but at this point, it looks like the quakes may be done 
trying to make any sort of moves at the nine, at least until summer. Uh, Jesse Farinelli has said that he wants the ability to save some of some of the money uh, that uh, on, on players for midseason moves. And uh, that might be a spot that they might look more for a midseason move if it's uh, if it's not working well with the options that are available. Do you think if uh, if we don't get a season with fans uh, for a good chunk of the year again here, do you think Wando could potentially push his final season another year? Well, you know, it, it's certainly it's certainly possible. Um, I, I've kind of learned with him to never say never on anything. But um, at this point, you know, he is, he is definitely giving the vibe that it's his, his final season. Um, he's even also started up a, uh, a new brand uh, 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 that uh, I think he wants to get started with. So kind of a, a, another a side company for kind of his, uh, his post-playing career. And he got that launched in this offseason. So he is kind of starting to make the moves as like he's, he's looking beyond um, his playing career. And uh, while I think there's been, you know, open offers from the club in terms of getting him engaged somehow, you know, as a coach um, in the academy or even, you know, as a, as a first team coach, um, you know, it's, it's hard to, to know what exactly Wando's ideas are at this point. He hasn't really been forthcoming with what his plans are going to be. So yeah, speaking, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. So speaking of transfers and you, you've mentioned him a couple of times, Shofis, uh coming over from Chivas on loan. You, know, you guys got him back in January, I believe it was. Um, he's a product of the Chivas youth system, spent his entire career with that story franchise. Uh, he worked underneath uh, Matias down in Chivas in 2015 through 2018, I believe it is. Um, do you think that he steps into that number 10 role right away and is successful in MLS? Uh, and also, you know, losing Magnus, uh, Magnus Erickson last year. Um, and, and that was kind of in that slide, that awful August to uh, end of September kind of slide, I think it was. Um, do you think that he, uh, Shofi steps in and, and can perform at a high level? Uh, and can he create chances for some of these guys, especially some of these younger guys? Um, after watching some videos and stuff, he, he seems pretty impressive. But how does that translate over to the MLS from where he's coming from? Right. I mean, it's a really good question. But if you take a look at, at Magnus Eriksson, Magnus was really an inverted left-footed right winger right. Um, that didn't have a lot of pace. And, you know, Ma uh, Matias was able to turn him into a, a pretty serviceable 10 because he kind of had the mind to go forward. He kind of had the mind to, to look for dangerous balls and to try things. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. But I, I think uh, Matias liked uh, the way that the, the kind of interpret, in Matias's words, the way that he interpreted the position, right? And I feel like when I look at Chofis uh, on both video and data, I see a player that's very similar to Magnus Eriksson. Again, spent most of his career as a right winger, although he can, can has played and, and can play central midfield. Uh, for Matias, though, he mostly was that kind of right winger. He is left-footed, also inverted, right? And so, you know, I think like, and he doesn't have a lot of pace. So, you know, all those things combined, right. he feels in, in some ways very Magnus Eriksson-like. And, you know, it, it's hard to say, did Almeida look at Magnus Eriksson and see Shofis 
and decide, hey, I think he can play the 10, and it turned out to be, you know, pretty true? Um, or, you know, does he look at Shofis and go like, well, hey, he's like kind of like Magnus, maybe I can kind of turn him into, into more of a Magnus style 10. Um, I, I do feel like there's something there though between between those those two players. Um, and Mag Magnus was without a doubt um, Almeida's favorite player in San Jose. And I think it was a big blow to Almeida to lose him midseason. I, I don't think that's something Almeida wanted to do, to be to be honest. But but you know, the the money was there and and um, you know, with COVID and everything, you know, Magnus wanted to return to Sweden. Um, and the team did slide and it was a, a big loss for the team. And so, you know, bringing in Shafis, who, who does seem committed to coming in fit and, and, and such, I mean, he's, he's faced criticism in the past for being a little bit uh, too overweight. Um, he's, he's faced criticism for his, you know, off the field partying. He was part of a, uh, of a, of a group of players who were uh, suspended by, by Shivas uh, because one of the players, uh, and did some things that obviously they shouldn't have uh, at a party, and um, and he happened to be at the same party, even though he wasn't uh, he wasn't at fault uh, or or blamed for for it. Um, he was suspended as a result, and you know this is an opportunity for redemption for him. It's an opportunity for Almeida, who believes in second chances, to 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 provide that to him. Um, what we heard is that Almeida was very harsh on him um, after he got in trouble. And, um, and Almeida's kind of sticking his neck out here uh, for the player. But we know Almeida has fierce loyalty for his former players. Um, and, uh, you know, Shofis is one of those people that, that he feels pretty strongly, you know, has the ability to have a, still a very a stellar career. And um, I, I think he thinks that uh, this is an opportunity for, for both uh, the Quakes, who probably couldn't have otherwise afforded to bring in Shofis, uh, to also get a player that um, that can can be serviceable in that position. All right, I guess we'll ask the last question here and get you out of here. Um, what do you think would be a successful season for the Earthquakes uh, this year? Uh, well, I think there's, uh, if I remember right, there's going to be 13 teams in in the conference because I believe Austin was added to the West, and and yeah. uh, so. You know, to me, a successful season would have to be, you know, a uh, a sixth playoff position or higher, and uh, probably a goal differential closer, at least to even, um, if not positive. And uh, you know, that seems like kind of a tall order given where this defense has been the last couple of years and the amount of ups and downs they faced. It, it does seem overall that that when they're it's going bad, it's going really bad, and when it's going good, it's uh, you know, they're winning by, by just one or two goals, but they lose by like, you know, four or five goals. And, uh, you know, something that feels a little bit more stable than that would be a, a, a big step forward. Um, particularly if the, if, you know, whether it's for COVID reasons, budget reasons, you know, whatever the reasons are, you know, they're not able to make the big off season upgrades, uh, maybe that fans were looking for, you know, it feels to me like you at least need to show some stability you know, the players who've, who are now in this system for the third year, you know, need to demonstrate a, a good understanding of it and, um, you know, more uh, predictability, more reliability in terms of, of the way that they play it. So, you know, if they can, if they can finish sixth place, you know, or above, you know, I, I think that would be considered a, a good step forward. Um, Matias has two years left on his contract. He says that 
he does want to win a championship. He's won a championship in every other place he's been to. And uh, he does want to do that with the Quakes. You know, so to me, they've got to take a, a good step forward. More ideal, they would, you know, get, get in like a third or fourth position and get a home playoff game. That would be certainly on the on the high end, I think, of what the, the possibility would be for for them. All right. Thank you. Where can people find you on, uh, you know, on social media or follow your work? Absolutely. So uh, they can follow me uh, at jmorequakes. Um, and uh, they can uh, also, uh, I mentioned American Soccer Analysis. If you're interested in their work, you can follow them at Analysis Evolved. You can also find me on the Black and Azul web show um, at uh, youtube.com slash blackandazul, A-Z-U-L. And uh, you can also uh, uh, see our website, uh, Earthquakes coverage at quakesepicenter.com. And we are back. That was Jamin, that's Jamin Moore of uh, San Jose Earthquakes coverage, Black and Azul uh, on YouTube. Uh, before we get to wrapping that interview up real quick, actually, uh, this was also something we wanted to talk about here. Uh, the MLS uh, or Major League Soccer has announced an updated start date. We talked about it before being April 3rd. It's now being pushed two weeks to April 17th, which is a Saturday, so it's just two weeks later. Uh, it sounds like any clubs in the CCL, the Champions League, will be uh, – will be starting earlier. Sounds like they'll still be starting, I think, March 1st training. Yeah, I heard some teams March 1st. And March 6th is when everybody else is going to start, I think. Uh, So that is uh, good for a union fan here who needs to really get ready for Saprisa. We had some coverage over on the Twitter at Stateside Show about that draw. I am not very pleased with the draw. Yeah, a lot of your Philly fans, uh, like I got a weird mix of like uh, scared to death and, and and scared just a little. Yeah, I, I'm scared to death. I mean, I, I would like to get past this round, so I would have loved having any of the easier ones. Saprisa was just in the final against Aloenze, uh, if I said that name right, um, for the CONCACAF League, which is like the Europa League equivalent right now. Uh, and I watched that game and Saprisa was very close to equalizing and I was rooting for them to equalize because I like Saprisa. Uh, so it was, um, it, it was rough. Uh, you know, and then you got Club Leon, you know, getting either Forge FC or Toronto. Uh, so of course the one, you know, Mexican team is of course drawing up against a MLS side, uh, which is rough for the MLS side. Um, Everything else seems pretty okay, I guess. I, I just don't think this is a good year for a chance of MLS winning the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, I think this is a very rough draw uh, kind of all around, really. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I don't think we're going to cover it all right now. We'll kind of cover that as we get closer to CONCACAF Champions League as well. But, uh, yeah, right now I'm not feeling so great about it. I did start seeing later people say that they feel really great about it. So, um like Logan said, it's kind of mixed for me. Uh, I'm not feeling so confident about that, but uh, moving back to the quakes real quick. uh, What was your biggest takeaway from our interview with Jamin? I think the biggest thing for me is this team is a two steps forward, one step 
and giant step back. I think that when you look at it from 2000, if you're looking at 2020, and I know it's, it's going to be a year, I think a lot of clubs you look back at and go, okay, that, that wasn't really our identity. And that's not really necessarily the way we play just because the, the fixtures were so jammed up the, the, you know, scheduling the COVID stuff that's going on. It's just a really rough year. And I think this year is going to feel a little bit more normal than uh, last, obviously. And I think we're getting closer and closer every day, uh, fingers crossed. But I, I do think that, you know, when he was talking, it was interesting because he said that, you know, when you're looking at signings, when you're looking at people, you know, coming into the side, he said that obviously you've got some of the youth attackers that, that are real promising, like Arios. Um, but, he, you know, the real concern was that defensive back line. You lose Lima uh, to Austin and then you don't replace him. So there's still a link at, or, you know, a, a linkage problem down there. Um, in, in that right back position that I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they're going to get somebody on signings. Um, I, it doesn't seem likely from what he said. So I think that, you know, Tommy uh, Thompson's going to have to step into that spot and, and he's uh, stepped down, I think from Nick Lima, obviously. <clears throat> so that's the biggest takeaway for me was, was the fact that it's this, this Quakes team really needs to improve, but he just doesn't see unless it's going to come from that center mid uh, position at number 10 spot and some of those developments of those nine, uh, youth nines um, where they're actually going to improve any um, in, in the mess that was that back line that just gave up goal after goal after goal. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tommy Thompson uh, started out more as a midfielder for the earthquakes. So I, I do f feel it'd be kind of rough having to rely on him to be your right back. Uh, kind of what I took away is that, you know, uh, Matias Almeida um, really kind of might be – this whole game of cat and mouse with these other jobs might be wearing thin on maybe the, the franchise as a whole. Uh, I, I'm sure it would if you hired somebody and they have years left on their contracts and after their first year there they get linked elsewhere, then after the second year there they get linked elsewhere. It, it would be kind of rough to uh, have to constantly be putting up with that. Um uh, you know, especially when I really feel like, yes, his play style is fun and it's kind of Bielsa ball like, but it he hasn't. I mean, he he's changed the philosophy of the attacking play, but overall, hasn't done enough for me to actually warrant all of this interest outside of San Jose. I'm sure people are probably looking at some of his other league finishes and such, but. I like that comparison though. It was so spot on because <laughs> I read, I actually read an article too today that compared them to a team that can't defend set pieces. And I actually like, that's one thing with Leeds when I talk on stoppage yeah. that they just don't defend set pieces or corners or really defend for anything. So that, that comparison was just so spot on and kind of where they sit in the tables that just kind of like good enough to where you keep some people happy, but not good enough because, you know, the coaches might not be necessarily the – or the system might not necessarily be the thing that they want. Yeah, it's – it's. I don't want to be, like, slagging off Almeida's uh, oh, no, progress no. with the team, but, I mean, for all the talk of him coming to this league from, from the you know, Mexico and, and Chivas and, and such – to me, he hasn't really done much. I, I mean, he's changed the philosophy, but the team is kind of in the same sort of spots that they've been in. I mean, they're better than Wood and Spoon, right? They're in the playoffs. But it's, you know, they're still leaking goals, uh, you know, all the time. 
constantly with high uh, goals against. Even in the league, even in the ga- uh, league uh, season before he arrived, you know they had gave up like fifty some goals. So it, it's one of those where that really hasn't changed, and his style of play uh, doesn't really lend itself to defense. And while it's fun to watch them, and it really is. Uh, <laughs> It's fun, but, uh, you know, uh, I just feel bad because I really would like to see Wando kind of end on a good note. And if this is his last season, I would like them to to do better. And I don't think they will. I actually don't think that they will do better this season. This is the first time I think I'm saying that on these reviews, that I don't think the team is going to get better. Um, Maybe... Yeah, no, maybe I said that with Vancouver. I don't remember. Anymore. No, you were you, you said that like <laughs> there's slight improvement because Caicedo is so good. But I, I I agree with you. I think that yeah, this I, is a I team don't on think the outskirts. this is sustainable. Yeah. I, I just don't, and uh, you know, I, I just don't, and I I don't think Almeida finishes his contract here. Actually, uh, he's got two years left. I think Jamin said. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, obviously, I'm not a Quakes expert. I do have a Quakes kit, though. I found it at Ross for like 15 bucks, so that's, that was nice. Um, <laughs> so that I'm going to convert it to a Wondolowski kit, actually, because, I man, do it. Yeah, do I it. love Wando so much. Um, you know, what, no matter what Twitter says. Um, but I love Wando. Uh, I, I'm hoping he has a good season, and uh, I'm hoping this team is still exciting to watch, but they do have to shore up those defenses they should be exciting by winning by lots of goals, but maybe not be as exciting with, I don't know what Quake's team is showing up this year, this week. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was, yeah. that was part of their problems. Like I said, in the interview, there was one game where it's like they w- lose right. five, nothing. And then they win like two to one. And then they <laughs> four nil. It's like, what the heck is that? Then they win four to one. And you're like, yeah. what is going on here? Um, but yeah, I, I'm super excited to, to kind of dig into, uh, you know, the Western Conference is so much fun as it is. Uh, even though I'm an Eastern Conference fan, the West has so many good teams usually. And last year was kind of a bit of a change of the East being so strong. But we don't really know if that's because the East was just playing each other the whole time. You know, they had to really limit how many times they were playing elsewhere. So, uh, But an East team did win MLS Cup. So, you know, there, there's some of that there too. But uh, we'll stop rambling. Uh, <laughs> Can I ask you something real quick before yeah, you go? go? Yeah, um, I want to ask you uh, what you know. What are your thoughts on Tigres playing Bayern Munich? Uh, and I know I don't think you saw much of it, but um, what what are your thoughts on a Concacaf team, a region team playing in the world uh, world or the World Club? The, how do you say it? World FIFA Club World Cup? Thank you. Help help me. Um, I'm struggling here. Uh, how, how do you feel about Tigres doing that? And, and how many years do you give it over under uh, until an MLS team might be making that push towards playing one of the European teams? I don't think we're that far off. I know that's going to sound crazy. But no. LAFC almost beat Tigres. Um, they didn't, but they almost did. Toronto lost in penalties in their final uh rsl when it was a two-legged final had the lead and had chances to put it away early in the second leg and and lost to monterey montreal had some chances 
And now with it changing to a one-leg final, it gives us the best chance to get to the FIFA Club World Cup. The reason most places do two legs for the you know other competitions is because it gives the best team the chance to win. Uh, the final ended up that way a few times when it came to some of these uh, some of these clubs, you know, beating MLS opponents. But when you have a one-off final, anything can happen. It all depends on what team in MLS gets to. Uh, the the final or qualifies for Champions League because this year I, I look at the teams that have qualified and as a Union fan I don't think the Union can win CONCACAF Champions League they're not deep enough uh, unfortunately I just don't think it's possible it's also our first time there so I, I'm totally fine with not winning it I'm totally like just get the experience and hopefully we're back there in a year or two right Atlanta qualified just because the they had won the U.S. Open Cup two years ago, you know, and they didn't. There was no U.S. Open Cup last year, so they probably could have gave it to somebody else, but they gave it to Atlanta. Now Atlanta is a question mark. We don't know how they're going to be, and their first competitive games are going to be under their new coach uh, with these new players is going to be Champions League. I don't expect much from that. That's a very tough ask to uh, have your first games be Champions League matches of the season. Uh, even if it's just by a week or two. The Portland Timbers, they can they can make some noise. I don't think they have what it takes to win it. Columbus Crew, now that is a team that could win it. They could win it. Uh, Toronto, I don't think they're good enough to win it this year. I don't think they're going to be good enough in the league either. I know they just pushed Philly for the supporter shield, but Greg Vanny left as coach. He's now at LA Galaxy. There's rumors of Josie leaving. Uh you know, I, I just don't know if Toronto is going to be a good team this year. So if I had to pick one out of the teams that have qualified this year, Crew have a good chance just because Caleb Porter is great coach. Uh, the team plays very fun soccer. They, they play great soccer. But it's their first time in the Champions League for almost 10 years as well. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be one of those, maybe five or six years, actually. I'm not, I don't remember. But it's going to be... Uh, pretty rough that that's where the parody of mls hurts a bit because you you don't have a consistent top four reaching the champions league like other leagues like europe and uh where then they can kind of get better and better and get used to it uh but like i said we've had some of these teams make it there no problem if an lafc qualify again or a seattle qualify again and they you know um you know get somebody to replace jordan morris and, and stuff like that um I think that those type of teams could do it and win there. I mean, LAFC almost did. So like, I totally think that that is possible, but it's uh, I would say just a few years off. It might take longer than that, but really I don't want to hear all these people complaining about how MLS cannot stand the test against Liga Mekis because blah, 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 when they've been so close and just like penalty shoot out away or up a goal and then give up two late goals type of thing that that's not that far off, you know, it's not. Um, so, so we'll see how that goes. I mean, look, some of these MLS teams are making it to finals. That's better than some, 
you know, like when's the last time Man City reached a Euro, uh, Champions League final? They haven't. Never. Right? So, <laughs> so do people say that Man City have no shot winning the Champions League? No, we have a shot every year. Right. So there's shots. Uh, realistically, maybe not because the Mexican teams just have, you know, bigger budgets and better players. You know, if you can get Jignac on your team, he, he's insane. And uh, uh, I saw a lot of sentiment of U.S. men's national team Twitter, like not wanting Tigres to win. And uh, I was confused by that, actually. I, I Not even just because they're CONCACAF, but I'd rather see the underdog win than Bayern Munich win another trophy. How many yeah. trophies do they need? Um, so that was kind of uh, odd. I would, you know, if Conca, if a Concacaf team wins FIFA Club World Cup, that puts a bigger spotlight on not just uh, Mexico, but it puts a bigger spotlight on us. Because then people say, well, LAFC held them to two goals and and actually took the lead in like the sixty some minute. That's pretty crazy, you know. Like it shows that LAFC could have been there, right? Uh, they may not have played as well against Bayern Munich that Tigres did. I mean, Tigres did pretty well. They only gave up one goal. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I I loved watching the parts of the games that I the game that I could. Um, I, I do like, like Tigres uh, as like a. They were fun to watch. Um, they were a pain in the butt to watch when they were playing LAFC, but. You know, it, it it all depends on your perspective. And at that point, I didn't want Bayern to win. I, I wanted a CONCACAF team to win. And I wanted the underdog to win. And uh, to show that if they had won, you know, you could – if you want to do the mental gymnastics, you could have said, well, LAFC could have beat Bayern Munich then. Uh, not that that's true, but, you know, anything can happen in, in a one-game playoff. Nobody expected Tigres to reach the final. Uh, so – it was nice to see them there. And, you know, that's not the last time a CONCACAF team is going to reach the final. And maybe one day it'll be us. But first, an MLS team has to reach the Club World Cup and get that experience. So we're not that far off. Uh, I'll say, oh, we could play this when we get there. I'll say five years we're in the Club World Cup right. MLS team. Right. I see it realistically. I mean, just, you know with the scope of what's going on here in the U.S. and just that undercurrent of talent that seems to be coming through here. Um, you know, like Brendan Harrison plays, the, you know, get a couple of those guys playing with some of the mix of veteran talent. And you do get those sniffs of people that are coming over, bigger talent coming over after their careers in Europe, uh, i.e. Messi. Could you imagine if two to three years later down the road, Messi joins, you know, God knows who over here. Um, or Ronaldo or anybody, if, if anybody like that, I think that that's when you're realistically looking at that shot of getting at least one win over there in that World Cup. All right. Uh, well, I guess that about wraps us up here. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Stateside Show, uh, Instagram at Stateside Show, Facebook.com slash Stateside Show. Email us, statesideshow at gmail.com. Logan, who do we got coming up next? What team are we going to be breaking down next? So next we are going to be previewing the Real Salt Lake team. So that'll be uh, on Monday, and we'll get up as soon as we can. Um, but, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It should be a really exciting time. Uh, and then next week also we have on Wednesday – 
we're going to be talking some Colorado Rapids. Yeah, so the Real Salt Lake one we're interviewing Monday, which is the day you're listening to this one. So that probably will come out Tuesday uh, or whatever. And then Wednesday, we're going to be recording our Colorado Rapids uh, preview. And you'll probably get that one maybe Wednesday or Thursday. It depends on, you know, when I can put those together. But I hope everybody's excited. I hope everybody's enjoying these guests. These have been fantastic guests so far. Not one has been a strikeout. And it's helping us learn a lot more about the teams and the perspective of people covering the teams because I bring my own prejudices to these uh, teams, you know, like uh, earthquakes, you know, I, I are not always on the back of my mind, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> right. I, I love watching for Wando, but you know, some of those times it wasn't, uh, I didn't get the whole gist of everything, but Jamin really broke it down pretty well. We had, you know, uh, Sam breaking down the Whitecaps, which is a team that I haven't paid much attention to in the last three years um, or longer, you know. Uh, right. So it's great. Uh, I, I can't wait to actually listen to the Houston one because at the time that we're recording this was right after we recorded the intro to the Houston one. So I have to edit that and get that one up. Uh, so if everybody's listening to it, you, you've already heard it. Or if, you, if you're just listening for the Quakes, go ahead and listen to our Houston breakdown uh we had a great guest there too breaking down all things houston dynamo we're going to talk the rebrand as well so you'll be able to hear what they think about that new crest but uh yeah logan what has been your best experience so far if we just extend this a little bit longer real quick of doing these uh previews as somebody that is i I just want to get your perspective as somebody that is not familiar with mls totally and has just been kind of following uh on the peripheral for a few years and then kind of call MLS's back. Uh, what's your thoughts so far on, you know, breaking down these teams with these, uh, with these guests? I think the one thing that comes to my mind when I'm talking to these people and reaching out to them, just the enthusiasm for the league and how well that this, you know, network is built with these MLS clubs. I mean, I go on Twitter and they're retweeting people and I go like for Jamin or I go to Andres or I go to Sam um, even Ernan and, you know, I'm looking at these guests and I'm looking at their followers and it's, you know, Matt Doyle or Stu Holden or, you know, people like that, Taylor. I mean, it's just, it's so cool that fans, and it's not like this in the United States. We don't have a sport like this where we get to be this close to the action. Um, and I think because it's such a niche league here in the United States, because soccer is not the big sport and nor do I think it will be. Um, in quite some time I think eventually it gets there but I think it's going to take football and basketball to come down off of its off the moon it's on Um, and you're starting to see the crumble but I think the biggest thing for me is just the enthusiasm that these people have for their teams and and the cool thing is is that when they're covering these markets like Jordan said uh, it's it's so cool to get their perspective because uh, they are so honest about their team. Uh, they're very realistic. We have not had one that goes absolutely bonkers nuts for their team. Like it's a fanboy podcast. Um, they're very realistic. They give us great opinions on these teams and I'm learning a ton. I mean, a ton. I, I don't like Ashley always, my wife makes fun of me just cause I'm always soccering right now. Um, but it's because I'm trying to sound like I know what's going on half the time. Um, which I feel like I, you know, listening to how much I do and reading how much I do before I do one of these, I've learned a lot and it's, it's helped me learn the league and I really enjoy it. I really think that fans 
if you're listening to us out there, please get, please, please, please get involved with the MLS. It's, it, you can be one of those cool kids that said that you're at it. And Jordan, you're way before me, obviously you're at the very beginning, <laughs> but you can be one of those kids. that's not the bandwagon that you could say we were here. You remember when we were here and they had, you know, some of these players had four, 4,000 followers on Twitter and they're like reaching out to us. But again, we're the, like, the, remember when Chris Wanolowski was the <laughs> leading goal scorer before right. Erling Haaland came over and yeah. scored 300 goals. Yeah. Can you believe that? <laughs> can you believe that Messi and Ronaldo are just tearing it up up there at you know, NYC? Um, no, but just in, in all seriousness, I do think that just the, the close knit group, the accessibility for fans to the game and to these owners and coaches and, um, just a world sport is really awesome because you're seeing it through their eyes. And, and that's something that I've really taken away from these guests so far. And I can't wait to do more. Yes. The enthusiasm for the league. I, I think people could probably tell that came across in the interview when I was gushing about Wando and that 2012 Goonies, uh, San Jose team, uh, which was just a fun team to watch. If you haven't seen any of the 2012 highlights, Logan, I do implore you to go on YouTube and look up. I've seen team. some, they, I've seen some, so many late stoppage time, winners and comebacks it was fantastic but yes anybody that's on the fence about this league you're listening to our show trying to learn the league or get better at the league logan's learned a lot just from doing the show um and i've learned you know there's always room to grow i've learned a lot just from doing this as well um as somebody that you know watched as many games as he could you know just trying to continue uh growing as an analyst but also as you know a podcast host and uh, covering this league is one of the joys of my week you know sitting down with Logan right now and uh, recording these interviews because they have just been so great and this league just means so much to me um, it's insane I you know there's so many times I just think to myself like man I'm so glad I'm I'm starting this podcast now and covering major league soccer because I just love it so much, you know, and, and people will crap on it online all the time, but guess what? I don't really care what people think. So it doesn't really matter to me. I just enjoy soccer and I enjoy our domestic league. And, you know, I even watch a lot of the lower leagues too, and we'll cover some of those as they, as they come on and, and we'll kind of cover the highlights and big stories in those leagues. But, Main focus is going to be Major League Soccer this year. Well, that about wraps us up. I already said where all the socials can be. So hopefully you enjoyed this interview uh, with Jamin and, you know, hit us up if you have any questions um, about our interviews or, you know, questions about uh, anything you want to ask. We're going to be previewing every team. So if you have questions for teams that are not Salt Lake and Colorado, since we will probably already have been recording by the time you listen to these and, and post them, you know, we're going to keep going through the West and then eventually move our way to the East. So hit us up if you need to, and we will catch you all next time. Tomorrow throwing his body in. It's going to fall for Ibrahimovic. Oh, come on. Come on. Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the u.s men's national team americans abroad mls usl this is stateside soccer show presented by stop it's time soccer show have a good one